Hark the herald angels sing. We might get into that a little bit tonight. Well, I thought we should just take a, uh, a break from the book of 1 Corinthians and jump into the glory of Jesus being born, the glory of the incarnation, the glory of the firstborn of all creation, becoming the firstborn of Mary. But before I do that, I just want to remind us of something. We will not be having services next Wednesday night, which is December 26th. That's December 26th, right? Next Wednesday night? Yes, next Wednesday night. December 26th or January 2nd, okay? Now, we'll still be having service December 30th, Sunday, next, not this Sunday, but the coming Sunday. Um, but for the following two Wednesdays, we're going we're gonna to take those off. And so if you show up for food, you know, you can just drive a little ways further and go to McDonald's. And uh, <laughs> if you show up for, uh, for worship and a message, that's okay. You can go home and turn on whatever worship music you'd like to turn on and get in the Word. So, uh, but just with all the travel and the holiday season, we're going to take the next few services off. Hey, Bob. Hey, Fred. Good to see you, buddy. All right. Well, we're going to dig into the Word tonight. I just wanted to take some time as a Wednesday night family, you know, that we, we normally come, and we just kind of, I just wanted to get our hearts around Jesus and around the gospel and Luke 1 and Luke 2 and, and just look at some of these phrases that sometimes we breeze by in this season and just go a little deeper in and allow the Holy Spirit to impact our hearts. We, if you've been in the church or if you've been a believer for much time at all, you've gone through these stories quite a bit and sometimes they become rote and sometimes they become a little bit mundane. But I think the Lord has something for us tonight and he wants to reveal his glory. So we're going to do this and then we'll probably end with a little small group prayer, praying for our hearts to be encountered in this season, asking the Lord to prepare our hearts for the celebration of his birth and then probably asking the Lord to again encounter those around us that don't know him. I think if we ask this holiday season, God will do what he wants to do. And he'll do more if we had not asked him. He's waiting for the ask. He's waiting for us to say, Lord, would you break in? Would you use me? Would you bring about circumstances that brings my niece or my nephew or my son or my daughter or my husband to the Lord? And so I want us to end with that time. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 26. says this, 
In the sixth month, I'm just going to kind of read through the whole passage and then we'll go back and look at some different things. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, the, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a beautiful passage, right? There's so much gold. There's so many treasures in this passage. So much truth that is going to lead us into freedom. So, let's just read verse 26 and 27 again and talk about it. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. This was just striking me. Uh, uh, the Lord sends his heavenly messenger to a virgin. Now this is what Israel was waiting for. They were actually waiting for a birth. They were waiting for a Messiah to be born. And as they studied the prophets, there, there was a cryptic message that this Messiah that they were waiting for, this king, that there was something of a divine nature about him, but, but was he fully divine or was he fully human and just anointed of God? And here the angel Gabriel is coming to a virgin and saying, she's going to bear a son. It says in Isaiah chapter 7, it says, And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men or to weary my God also? And then in the weariness that they were giving to the Lord and giving to one another, the Lord says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And his name shall be called Emmanuel. 
His name shall be called God with us. And then it says in Isaiah chapter 9, the famous passage, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. They were waiting for this child, they were waiting for this birth. To us a son is born, is given. Okay, so a son's going to be born, but his name is going to be called Wonderful Counselor. His name of a child being born is going to be called Mighty God. His name is going to be Everlasting Father. Now that's striking right there. Okay, we're waiting for someone to be born. A child is going to be given. And we're going to call him Mighty God and Everlasting Father. We're going to call him the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. How glorious. So I think as Mary was hearing this, some of these passages might have been running through her head. I just wrote down, this wasn't like God just parachuting into his divine, into the earth, in his divine nature to save the day. This was God in miraculous union with humanity. This was God taking our frame completely, becoming fully human, and doing it through this virgin Mary. I was thinking of this promise that the Lord gives uh, Eve at the fall in Genesis 3. And he's talking, he's cursing the serpent. And then he tells Eve in Genesis 3, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Or he's speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring or your seed and her seed or her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And there was a promise that there was a seed to come from Eve that Genesis says bruise, but Paul uses the language of crush. I like the language of crush more. That there was one coming through Eve that was going to crush the head of the enemy. He was going to be bruised. He was going to be scarred. I mean, he still bears the scars on his throne. He still bears the scars. He, he went to his disciples and he said, look at my hands. Put your hand in my side and see that it's me. He still wears the bruise. Guys, I think we're going to worship at those scars and those bruises. We're going to go, oh, it's the lamb who was slain. And that was slain is going to stay with us forever and ever, and ever. And as the increase of his government continues, and as we go from glory to glory to glory, we're going to be reminded that it would have been never, it would have never been made possible had not God sent his son, born of a virgin, bearing our frame. He was going to be bruised, but guess what? 
he was going to crush the head of the enemy. Romans 16.20 says this, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan. And you think Paul's going to say, underneath the feet of Jesus. But then Paul gives us a little bit more clarity here. He says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath what? Underneath your feet, he tells the Roman church. He says, this promise of Genesis 3, this promise of crushing the head of the enemy, of having complete victory. Now, in ancient times, I just thought it was, it was fun that, that a king who would conquer another kingdom at the end of his conquest would walk into the, cap, into the capital city and he would put his foot on the neck of the king he conquered and he would decide either to take his life or to spare him. That was the, the ancient imagery of a conquering king. And the Lord says, I'm going to do that to the enemy. And it says, and the last enemy is death. Death, O oh death, where is your sting? And the Lord is going to have victory over death. Amen? Amen. So Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And I was just thinking of this, this, okay, it's the promise of Jesus to crush Satan. It's, it's our promise to crush Satan. And I was thinking of Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus is coming back, and he's on the white horse, and he's bearing the many crowns on his head, and he has the name on his robe and on his thigh written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it says that the armies of heaven follow him. And the Bible makes it clear that that's us. Jude says the Lord comes back with ten thousands of his holy one to inflict vengeance upon his enemies. And so Jesus is going to come back, but he is going to share his conquest, his victory with his bride. In Revelation 19, right before it, we're called the bride of Christ. In Revelation 19, right after that, we're called the armies of heaven following Jesus. And it says in that progression that the Antichrist and the false prophet wage war against him who is coming on the white horse. But guess what? They're defeated and they're thrown into the lake of fire. And then there's a second conquest after the millennial reign. And Satan tries one more time and he stirs up the nations of the earth one more time. And guess what? He's conquered as well. And he's thrown into the lake of fire. And that prophecy is going to be fulfilled. He's going to be destroyed under the conquering majesty of Jesus through his church. Daniel 7. Write down Daniel 7, 26 and 27 if you're taking notes. This is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. Again, you can have like 55 greatest chapters in the Bible. And this is one of them. Daniel 7 is talking about this, this glorious day where the Father is seated and thrones are put around him and, and books are open and he's about to commit judgment. And then it says there's one more, there's a great rebellion led by the Antichrist in Daniel 7. But then it says the Son of Man comes to the Father and the Father gives all glory and all dominion to the Son of Man. Talking about the resurrection when Jesus ascended 
and sat at the right hand of the Father. It says, so that all nations should worship him. Well, it ends, the chapter ends, that's the beginning of the chapter. The chapter ends with verse 26 and 27. And this is after the great three and a half years, Satan's last chance to take leadership of the earth. It says in verse 26, But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion, being the Antichrist, shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given, it says, to the people of the saints of the Most High. And his kingdom, this Jesus' kingdom, shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve him and shall obey him. So not only is this one born of a virgin going to crush the head of the enemy, it says the kingdom that he possesses is going to be given to the saints of the Most High. Isn't that beautiful language? That stirs hope in my heart. That God has a bride and it's me and he wants to rule with me forever and ever. He doesn't want to do it in a vacuum. He wants to do it in partnership. And it's all because a little woman got encountered by Gabriel and this virgin is going to have a baby born of God. Let's move on. Ah, oh, verse 28 says this, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, I love this. The Lord was with humble, young, Mary was probably 14, 15, 16 years old at this time, humble, young, poor Mary. It, this just strikes me. The Lord sees the lowly. When no one else was seeing Mary, when everyone would have seen King Herod, when they would have thought of Caesar Augustus as being great and well-favored, as they would have thought of, of maybe the, the, the scribes or the, the rulers, the rich, the noble of Israel to be highly favored, the angel Gabriel shows up to this little woman in Nazareth, this girl, and says, oh Mary, you are highly favored in heaven. It's like when he shows up to Daniel, the same angel shows up to Daniel and says, oh Daniel, you are greatly beloved. How many of you would like to hear that if an angel encountered you and said, heaven's talking about you. I've been sent from one who has a message for you and guess what? There is love in his heart for you. You are greatly beloved. You are highly favored. I wonder if that was going through Mary's mind. Wait, wait, wait. It's Gabriel. Gabriel encountered Daniel. I wonder if he's going to say it. Oh, he did. I'm highly favored. I don't think the Lord sends Gabriel to anyone who's not highly favored. <laughs> and so, when no one else is looking, when no one else finds her, the Lord's eye is on Mary. I mean, this is the Lord's way. This is who he uses. He uses the humble. He uses the contract. It's the story of David in the field, forgotten 
by all of his brothers. When the prophet comes to the house to anoint the king, that's a bad day in the family. You know, it's like the brothers and the you all feel that like brotherly and sisterly tension. And it's like no one wants to do that last chore. You know, we have chores in our family on Saturday morning. Everyone has to do four jobs. And every time it's like pulling teeth and like they know it's coming, you know. After breakfast, they know it's going and everyone starts to slip away from the table and, you know, they're all making their excuses and I have to do this and I have to do this. Did you do your four jobs? And it's that mad rush. We have this list on the refrigerator and you get to pick four jobs. Now, I have seven kids and they all pick four jobs. So we have 28 jobs in the house for the kids, okay? We're like finding jobs. We're like scrub the corner of the room with the toothbrush and get up. I'm just playing. But there's always those jobs that no one wants to pick in the family, you know. No one wants to clean the bathroom. No one wants to clean the toilet, you know. And it's kind of first comes, first serve on that list. And so they write down their initials and they're going for the best jobs. Well, David got stuck with that worst job. All the brothers, they're signing up and David gets, no, no. I get the sheep in the fields. So he walks out there and prophet's coming, but David, someone has to stay with the sheep, and I know his brothers, you know, they're like making faces at him. You know how brothers do. But who does God see? The one who has a heart after him. The Lord sees the inside of us. He sees the intentions. He sees our seeking after him, our searching after him, and that's who he's looking for. He's not looking for the rich. He's not looking for the powerful. No, The great thing is you can be rich and still have that heart. You can be powerful and still have that heart. But whose eye is God searching for? Someone that everyone is overlooking, but has a reach in their heart for God. He says, Mary, you are highly favored. I love just some of these verses about the humble Psalm 183, 138, 138. There's not a Psalm 183. If someone says that there is, they're lying to you. But there is a Psalm 138. And it says in verse 6, For though the Lord is exalted, though he's high, yet he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. The haughty he doesn't approach. Now just think of this. The Lord's about to know someone so intimate as Mary. His son is about to come through her. The Lord who is on high, he regards the lowly, but he is far off from the haughty. It says in Isaiah 57, this is one of my favorite verses regarding humility. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever. So he's sitting on his throne the word describes the new Jerusalem as 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles deep, and 1,400 miles high. That's a tall city, okay? And guess what? Guess who sits at the top of it in his throne room? The Lord. He's the most high, right? For thus says the Lord, the high, the exalted one who lives forever, whose name is Holy. And it says this in Isaiah 57, verse 15. 
I dwell on high, and I dwell in the holy place, and I also dwell with the contrite and the lowly of spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Him who is high, him who has no equal, him who is exalted. He says, who am I looking to dwell with? It's the humble and it's the lowly. And it says, I dwell with them in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. If you need your heart revived, if you need your heart refreshed, there's a guarantee on how to get that. You humble yourself before the Lord. You take real time that you could spend doing anything else and you spend it at his feet. You take real money that you could spend on anything else and you give it to his kingdom. You take, you guys know where I'm going with this. It's humility. He's looking for those who are seeking him. You take real strength that you could gain by eating food and you go on a fast and you say, I'm going to physically become weak. And Lord, I'm going to know that your eyes are upon me and you're going to revive my heart. You stay in a humble place. You offend someone. How many of people have offended someone in this room? I feel like I'm offending someone every day of my life. You know what I mean? There's just like that, there's those seasons where you're just like, I can't say anything right. I can't do anything right. No, I'm not. Don't feel sorry for me. But it's just natural. We offend someone. Humility is, oh, you know, I'm sorry for what I said. I, I, I was not meaning to say that. And if I hurt you, would you please forgive me? Humility is in being offended, we choose to forgive. I mean, the walk of humility, the process of humility, is it easy? No. But are we empowered by the Holy Spirit to be humble? Yes. I mean, I'm encouraged that even Jesus, in his humility, in his going low, and his becoming nothing, and even serving us and becoming obedient, what is Philippians 2 says, to the point of death, I'm encouraged by that prayer that he has in the garden. He says, now, now I don't consider any of our trials like the trial of going to bear the wrath of God for the world and the sin of the world upon your shoulders. None of us have that trial, right? <laughs> but even in going to the cross, he speaks to his father in such a real human way. He says, Father... This cup can be taken from me. Father, if this cup can be taken from me, take it away, but not my will, but yours be done. And he cries out to the Lord. What does the Lord do? Sends angels to strengthen his son. Isn't that beautiful? He's like, I love you, son. He sent angels to strengthen his son. And Jesus is strengthened as a man, and he goes to the cross, fully God and fully man. I don't know how it got there, but the Lord revives the humble, right? Let's go on. Now, this is such a paradox that Mary finds herself in. She is highly favored of the Lord, but she's about to enter a very unfavorable time with those around her. 
I mean, just think of this young woman. Let's go to verse 29. But it says, Mary was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel says to her again, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So he says it again. So again, Mary finds favor with God, but it's kind of ironic because though she's finding much favor with the Lord, she's about to go into a trial. Though she's finding favor with God and is going to be known for generations and remembered for generations and loved for generations, though her obedience and her humility is going to be rewarded by being blessed among women and bearing the Son of God, Think of the ridicule that Mary's about to go through. The accusation that's going to surround her. That she is having a child out of wedlock. I mean, she even has the embarrassment with Joseph, and Joseph doesn't believe her. And the Lord has to give Joseph angelic dreams to wake Joseph up and say, this is of me. Even her own betrothed doesn't believe that, no, no, the angel Gabriel spoke to me. I mean, I think he must have thought, I I think she's crazy. And then, (laughs) when that angel shows up, I think Joseph changed his tune. But the ridicule around them as a couple, sometimes being favored of God in this life doesn't necessarily look like walking in the favor of man. Sometimes we walk through trials in being favored by God. Did you know that? Sometimes we walk through a battle. We, 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 we have to fight that fight of faith and being favored by God. I mean, even just the religious laws of the time. I mean, the adulterous woman could be stoned in the middle of the town. Think about for nine months of being pregnant and having that fear of, I wonder if there's going to be a mob today to stone me. But I bet she put her hope in the one that she said, be it unto me according to your will. I bet she kept trusting. I bet she kept praying, Lord, this is your child. I think we can find encouragement and hope in that in our lives. Lord, you spoke this to me. Lord, this is your dream. Lord, this is your calling. Lord, this is your plan. No, Lord, these are your desires to be accomplished in my family, in my life. So though she's highly favored by God, she goes into a season of being not favored by man, but she puts her faith in the one who birthed this promise within her. Let's go to verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now this was hitting me in a new way the last couple of days. I was trying to put myself in that place and hear this for the first time. And the thought that came to me that I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to is Mary wouldn't have heard the name Jesus. She would have heard the name Joshua. That's the Hebrew name for Jesus. The Greek name is is Jesus, but the Hebrew name is Yeshua. And it was the same word we use for Joshua. She would have said, she would have heard, behold, you would conceive in your womb. And bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Joshua. Now, what do you think of when you hear Joshua? You think of one who has spent 40 years in a wilderness and is going to lead the people of God into the promised land. And I was just thinking of the nature and character of Jesus as the one who leads us into the promises of God. Only he can do it. And forever his name is going to be heralded as Joshua. As the one who is leading his people to green pastures. The one who is leading his people. I mean, just think. Here is one who is leading humans who are wrapped up in darkness into light, into freedom. He's leading those who are in sin and in death into life. He's transitioning the ages. He's transitioning the covenants. He's giving the new covenant. I was just thinking of the nature of Jesus is that he's always leading us into victory. He's always leading us into glory. I mean, this is all over the word of God. We looked at it a few Sundays ago. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, when we gaze upon Jesus, we're transformed. And what are we transformed? From glory to ever-increasing glory. I mean, we will forever be led by Jesus. He's going to come back on a white horse in the sky with the armies of heaven. He's going to transition the ages again into his millennial reign. He's going to reign on this earth for a thousand years. And you think his leadership is done. He couldn't lead us into anything better. No. Then he's going to lead us into the new heavens and to the new earth. And then the word of God promises us that his government will never decrease, but will always increase. Always. Forever. What is it going to look like a thousand years into the new heavens and the new earth? I think it's going to look like Jesus leading us. Jesus unfolding the glory of his Father forever and ever and ever. And so she hears this, that his name is going to be called Yeshua. His name is going to be called Jesus. And I wonder what she was thinking. Oh, I don't know. I told you what I was thinking about it. When we get to heaven, we get to ask Mary what she was thinking about that. Isn't that amazing? I hope that I get to talk to Mary. And I probably will. Anyway. I think it's interesting, just as, you know, we find ourselves in this season of hearing the word of the Lord spoken of this church a lot, that we're crossing into the Jordan. And I just heard that afresh in this Christmas season. Behold, his name is Jesus. His name is Joshua. And he is leading us into a new season. He's leading us into a season of harvest. He's leading us into a season of fruitfulness. It's his nature. It's his character. Paul says, again in 2 Corinthians 2, he says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Now Paul said that at a very trying time when he was looking for Titus and Troas and and it, 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 it was a very trying time in Paul's life, but he said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And then, verse 32, let's go on. 
I'll probably end with this. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I love that phrase, he will be great. I confess that a lot over my life, over my family, over this city, over the front range. He will be great. People are going to see his greatness. His greatness is going to be revealed. His greatness is unsearchable, the psalm says. That word unsearchable there means his greatness has no end. He will be great angel Gabriel says, and will be called son of the most high. So we see that he's going to be fully human. He's going to be the son of Mary. He's going to be Yeshua. He's going to be Jesus. But he's going to be the son of the most high. He's going to be fully God. Now the phrase that came to me when I was meditating on this was that he's the firstborn. Colossians 1 describes this in a wonderful way. Colossians 1 says this, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. He's just like His Father. If you want to see the Father, if you want to see the Father, see Jesus. Look at Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Sometimes I just have seasons of, I want to get to know the Father again. I want to get to know who He is and I just go back to the Gospels and I just meditate and I read and I think of those beautiful passages of Jesus interacting with us. Or I go to the end of the story and I read the prophecies of Jesus' return and I think of him as king of the earth, revealing his father to the earth forever. And I say, Lord, you did it then. You're going to do it. You did it in the past. You're going to do it in the future. Let me experience this now. Let me see this in my family. Let me see this in my life. So it says in Colossians 1, He is the image of the invisible God, and He's the firstborn of all creation. Now when I think of this, the firstborn of all creation, I don't think of His, his uh, I don't think of Him being born first. This, in Paul's time, the firstborn was one who had the first rights, one who was given the highest priority. He actually ends the passage in Colossians with this phrase, that in everything he might have the preeminence, that in everything he might have the first place. Guys, that's the only way to make sense of this life. That's the only way to make sense of the history of the world. It's coming to a culmination when Jesus will be placed first over all, over heaven and over earth. He's going to be the firstborn of all creation. But then I love how Paul uses the language in Colossians. He says, he is the beginning, but he's also the firstborn from the dead. He's also the one who has been resurrected first, and we are waiting to experience our resurrection because of his faithfulness. Amen? So he is son of the Most High, the firstborn over all. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom, 
there will be no end. Amen? So why don't we close and let's just have a time of prayer. I'd like us to, to stand. And if Christy and, or Luna or someone's here to play the piano. Oh, Christy, you're still here. Thank you. If you wouldn't mind come up and, and just ministering a little bit. I just had a, 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 a way that I wanted to end just by going into a time of prayer in this holiday season that the Lord would encounter our hearts afresh with the glory of Jesus. That he would open our hearts again in this Christmas season to the glory of his son. So that's the first prayer that I want us to pray. And the second prayer that I want us to pray is that he would open up the hearts of those who, don't, who do not know him. I think there's many that are even coming to this church on Monday night. And they're, they're coming because families are coming. I actually would encourage you to invite many of your friends and of your family who don't know him to say, hey, come, come with us to, to church on Sunday. Or, or your neighbors, hey, come with us to church on Monday. There's a one, a three, and a five. Come with us. There's going to be this beautiful orchestra playing. There's going to be uh, uh, wonderful music. I mean, let that be an invitation to bring a few that might not know him. Because I think the Lord wants to soften the heart on Monday. We were just praying as a leadership team last night, and I just I had this sense, this picture of this man, and as he was hearing the gospel being preached, and as he was hearing the story of God giving the gift of life through his son to a virgin, and his name was Jesus, I just saw this picture of this man's heart being softened. A man who, and he was rededicating his life. And a hard heart was becoming flesh once again. I think there's going to be an outpouring and an anointing on Monday for hard hearts to be softened at the mystery and at the glory and at the preaching of the incarnation of Jesus. Amen? So I'd like us to pray into that. But also just maybe those that aren't going to be here, just for in this season, those that we know that are far from him, that their hearts would be softened and that they would either return to the Lord or that they would confess with their mouth and believe with their heart for the first time that Jesus is Lord and they would surrender their life to him. Amen? Amen. So if we could, let's get into some small groups, just groups of two and three, groups of four, and let's cry out for this together, okay? So introverts rise up and find someone and our extroverts go grab them by the hand before they leave, before they walk out, okay? And we're just going to pray this. First, Lord, soften my heart to the revelation of your son. And then, Lord, soften those who don't know you to the revelation of your son.